Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Creators and Cincy. I'm your host, Nick Bowman, and this is the show where we bring on all sorts of creative people from the Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky area, get to know them, and a little bit about the work that they do. This week, our guest is J.D. Brewer, who I had the good fortune of meeting through our mutual friend, J.D. Krause, who's been a guest on the podcast. He actually introduced me to J.D. Brewer as being an actor in the area, but as it turns out, through meeting him while recording this episode, he's actually done a lot more than that. He has quite the resume. (laughs) We talked about not only his experiences as an actor, but we talked about his many years as a journalist, and he's also quite the accomplished French music DJ. It was great to be able to meet and talk with him, and he had a lot of really great and interesting stories. So without further ado, welcome to the show, and enjoy. Alrighty, J.D. Brewer. How you doing, sir? Good, good. How you doing? Good. Good, good to finally meet you. Same here. It's been uh, a while. I have J.D. Krause to thank uh, for connecting us because he actually, uh, he's been on my podcast in the past. He's a great, great guy. And he actually suggested that I get in touch with you. Yeah, he, he's very busy. I'm surprised you found, he found time to be on. I know. <laughs> yeah, he's a very, he's a very, very busy man. You know, it's interesting um, when he uh, introduced me to you via uh, messages because this is actually this is actually the first time I'm meeting you Absolutely. in person. When he um, when he messaged me to tell me, hey, I've got a guest uh, that's interested in coming on the podcast. He told me you were an actor. <laughs> And judging by the research that I've done, it seems like you are a lot more than that, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Acting is going to be my next career, which I've actually I've done odds and ends. I did some. My first appearance as an extra was in uh, I think '89 or '90. Yeah. And then took about a 30-year break or so, and then. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've been a journalist. Uh, I do website work now. Yeah, at the risk of kind of going into a "this is your life" yeah, type yeah. of deal, let's kind of talk about your background a little bit and what you do and sort of how you became to the place that you are now. Cool. This feels like a, it's very much an inside the actor studio type of Maybe, question. Yeah. Like, what what was the moment that you <laughs> realized? <laughs> well, I think I've always been a creative type, right? And. Uh, I, I, my first career was as a journalist, and that was a, a very creative thing, but it was also very time crunch. It's, it's a very specific kind of creating. And unfortunately, the kind of the rules of being a journalist, it was important to not appear to have any sort of opinions. And so. Right, right. When did you get started as a. Um, when, did you, when did you originally get started as a journalist? Um. See, I don't want to sound as old as I really am, but uh, in the I guess the late '90s was okay. really when I got strong into sure. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. when you really started diving head on into it. Right. When mm-hmm. I when I found someone who'd pay me enough to do it for. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> That's always good when you can find someone who's willing to pay you for the work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So I uh, I had wanted to do more creative things and kind of held off, and then a really good friend of mine, uh, Len Archbald. When I was a reporter, I did a story about him organizing a film festival that was at first in Van Wert, Ohio, and then Lima, Ohio. And I met a lot of great people who make films, a lot of great people who either act, direct, uh, a guy named David Spaltro who became a really good friend, although I hardly see him, but he's uh, created three or four movies that have been out on Amazon. 
And then his, uh, well actually his wife, he just got married on Halloween, and his wife is a featured extra regular on Saturday Night Live and had, really? a, had a small bit as an extra in the post. Oh wow! Um, so they live in so they live in New York yeah. primarily. Yeah, okay. they're, they're New York based. But, oh wow, so that's interesting. Yeah, so friends like David wow. and uh, a guy that uh, it's probably riding coattails to call him a friend, but uh, he's uh, the, if you know the uh, FX series, what we do in the shadows. Sure. Yeah, Taika Waititi. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy that plays the in the FX series version, the guy who plays Guillermo, mm-hmm. was in a film in that first one of those first film festivals and we stayed in touch so it's kind of been great to watch his career he's been in uh the that's magicians. really cool yeah yeah um so you actually originally started off as a journalist right and then you kind of found your way into the acting acting realm through that through right. going to this film festival yep through mm-hmm. people i connected with there mm-hmm. just kind of one of those things where i was like let me try this out yeah it's kind of like you know some of the stories of people that i met you know they were just you know, I had thought there was like some magical secret to being an actor, and mm-hmm. it's you know the biggest thing is the willingness to put yourself out there. Oh, and for so, sure, yeah. Yeah, so I started when I changed careers and was able to do a little bit more. I started taking some more risk. Uh, did a uh, feature turn as a the lead in a a film called A Grave Mistakes by Strong Brothers. They're mm-hmm. a local local group. Uh, and that was a great experience. Met some great people through that. Um, doing mostly extra stuff now. I've I've kind of had to revamp my my life a little bit. My I have two kids who are now teenagers, and so I'm kind of taking a long term approach right now of stepping back somewhat. So I stay active with a, a group called The Company Presents, who does great sketch comedy that fits my schedule right now right and do extra stuff when it works mm-hmm. or when it pays well enough so, so you're saying a lot of the stuff you've done has been extra work you haven't actually gone in you have you actually like gone an audition for like sort of leading or supporting parts in like the independent productions in the area i have and the uh, early on i believe when i was auditioning i, I really sucked <laughs> and auditioning <laughs> and uh i look back on some of the the submitted auditions that i did and they weren't, uh, I can see why I wasn't where I needed to be yet. Mm-hmm. And that's partly why I've, I've stepped back a little bit more. I don't, with my family right now, I don't have the time to commit deeply. Right. So I'm working a little bit more on the background stuff mm-hmm. and the fundamentals. I take acting classes with uh, Cheryl Couch, who is out of uh, Essex Studios over near downtown. Excellent teacher. And so I do a lot more working on kind of building the back end of the skill set. Sure, but, uh, sure. I'm hopeful, you know, I, my biggest career milestone so far was in the, uh, now I'm drawing a blank on the movie, um, the uh, Point Blank, the movie that we, was just shot. Oh, right, yeah, that just shot uh, this past fall, right? Or uh, it was just, it this past it, fall? It came out in the fall. It, it shot, I think, in the spring. R- okay, yeah. yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. So that was the first, right. first time that my children recognized me without me having to point them out. So that was it's kind of one of those. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to do one of those things like, all right, pause it right now. That's where I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> always, but then you always have that fear that you're going to get cut out. Like, oh man, like you build it up so much. I'm in this movie, and then you're like, oh, they coming exactly. out. <laughs> exactly. That's well, like in, in the movie The Public. There's a dramatic scene mm-hmm. with a telephone call and a confrontation, 
and there's a bookshelf in the background, and I'm behind that bookshelf. Oh, good. So, <laughs> it was a, it was a dramatic. It was a great delivery of. You, a so you didn't have to you didn't have to tell them where you were. They were like, oh, hey. Now, uh, yeah, this one they actually recognized me from. Oh, the, good. Good. Because my, my first extra appearance was in a film called Eight Men Out, which was based on the uh, Chicago Black Sox scandal with the Reds and the World Series. Right. Right. And I'm in the opening scene of that, and I told my wife before we were married that that was me, that I was in that scene, and I was wearing a brown suit. And she thought it was a different guy in a brown suit. So she was quite disappointed when I, when I finally... <laughs> well, you're not that one. <laughs> yeah. When I finally got the DVD yeah. and was able to zoom and freeze and, and point out where I was, she was she was considering annulment at that point because she wasn't sure if I... She may have married me under false pretense. <laughs> so have you done that all primarily in Cincinnati or in just around, in and around Ohio and yeah, Northern Kentucky yeah, areas primar- and stuff like that? Yeah, primarily Cincinnati. It's... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean you can get. I mean, there's a lot of productions that film here, and exactly. you know you can always find the you can always find the work for stuff like that yeah. around here. Yeah, no, there, yeah, there's just a handful of Facebook pages that you, you if you follow the right people, you know. It's all in the connections. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that I knew when I was starting out. You know, because I originally started as a production assistant, and like you're saying, it's all who you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's kind of go back to the beginning a little bit when you were a journalist. Mm-hmm. So that was something that you wanted to do. Was that your original end goal to be, become a journalist? And then you just kind of found all of these other little endeavors along the way? Yeah. Seeing like, oh, let me try this out. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I would have been happy to be a journalist for, for my entire life, but the nature of the news business... And uh, you know, the, there's just no money in the business anymore. The, the last right. last paper I was at, they kept losing people. I was near the top in seniority, but people kept leaving below me to a point that I was didn't have enough seniority to pull any better shifts or anything, and mm-hmm. I wasn't getting to do. I think the end for me in journalism was there was a point where I came home from work and my wife asked me what I did, and I told her I said I wrote five stories today. And she goes, well, what were they about? And I couldn't remember. I, I had absolutely <laughs> oh, no idea. No. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, it was becoming such a process and the demands for production were so high that there wasn't any, I mean, there was craftsmanship in it, but it was like a guy turning out stuff on an assembly line. It wasn't... Right, just kind of like, it's like, okay, now this story, and then just kind of right. moving on, like you didn't, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I figured that you know, I wasn't, their passion wasn't there anymore. And so right. I, mm-hmm. So I looked at other things. I did um, work for a hospital building up their social media presence, and that was a, a great challenge. And now I work for a, a social services agency here in town doing their websites. So it's been, mm-hmm. it's been enjoyable and challenging, but I, I would like to do, in my current work, I get to do a lot of video stuff, and I'm doing more That's production good. stuff. And I, I love doing that. And at some point, I think my long-term plan is to turn that into in about three or four years when different pieces of my family puzzle fall into place. I'll have more free time, and I'm looking to either retire or semi-retire at that point and mm-hmm. focus full-time. Because, you know, there's a sad rule right now uh, when I'm choosing work that I'm interested in, it primarily has to pay enough to cover a vacation day because I don't... Right. <clears throat> Yeah, I make so much during it for a work day, and if I burn it as a vacation day, then I don't have it other, you know, so, you know, sadly, a lot of 
what I'm putting in for now, you know, there's great projects I look at, but mm -hmm. I just can't devote the time without any sort of... Uh, you want to be able to kind of like spend your time on it and make it good. Yeah. yeah, or at least break even with yeah with what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Uh, so I actually did want to. Uh, I actually did want to read a quote from your site, okay. if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, this actually was one that stuck out to me very much. Uh, it says, with experience as a DJ and an actor, JD has worked with talented. I'm talking to you as in like yeah, the third person. Yeah, yeah. JD has worked. Yeah. Well, I'm still not sure. I wrote that in the third person to sound more salesman-y or something. Right, but, yeah, but yeah. Sure. But the it's way it's, it's interesting yeah. just because the way that I'm reading it yeah. sounds like that. Uh, but anyway, it says, JD has worked with talented film professionals and is a competent videographer, editor, and voiceover artist. And he has also developed a reputation as the go-to DJ of French music for the Cincinnati expatriate community. Yeah, that's uh, actually quite true. Uh, you, <laughs> you want me to elaborate on yes, that? Yes, elaborate on that, please, because that just stood out to me so much. <laughs> um, well, my, my degree is actually in French. Uh, oh, interesting. At, at the time, UC did not have a. We dirt. could we could start over and do this whole thing in French if you'd like. Uh, that would we'd probably lose most everybody, <laughs> including me. But I can speak it. But if I get stuck, it comes back. But it takes a while. But right. But anyway, so I I've had an interest in French culture and eventually became involved with the Alliance Française, which is a French culture group here in Cincinnati. There, there are chapters all over. There's one here in Cincinnati. And through that, uh, there's a, a second group that is on the fringes of that. They're not connected, but it, they do similar things called Cincy Francophone. Mm -hmm. That is primarily expatriates from France who are living here either temporarily or, or long term. There are two big companies, P&G being one, and a partnership through GE that will bring people over for, for three-year stints, mm -hmm. you know, for, send people from here to France and from France to here. So that group has a uh, spring party. It's like a dance party. And I went to the first one, and there wasn't, uh, you know, it was a guy with a computer and some computer speakers and stuff. And I'd been collecting French music because it was something to help listen to, keep the language. And so I started doing the Franco Fun spring party and have been doing that now for oh, five or six years. Hmm and other events that have come up. Whenever someone needs a DJ to play French music, that's kind so of... So that's the music that you typically, like, that's the music that you typically play is a lot of, like, French French music? When I, for those events. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. I started out as a, um, and it, I was a wedding DJ for several years here on and off. And uh, actually up until the time when, when my family came along and I realized that to play a wedding, what takes a full day of, you know, full day plus of making sure, sure you've got the right music, mm -hmm. you know, making sure you know how to pronounce the odd names, mm -hmm. you know, making sure you understand where the event is, the flow, and all that planning. Yeah. So, but you you also have to like meet with the people beforehand exactly. so exactly. that they pick yeah. out the songs that they want. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, I mean, it gradually it would change somewhat over time, but there were always the the go to songs, and mm -hmm. you know, and then. With the rise of the internet, it got to a point that, uh, you know, with an internet connection, I could, if I didn't have a song, because the biggest challenge early on when I worked in vinyl was that you had to have that song before you left the house or you didn't have so it. So you were actually working on, like, with actual decks? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I still have a, still have a uh, Techniques, uh, two Techniques 1200 turntables and a mixer 
in, wow. my, in my basement that I still play with. So. Can you also you can so you still do that from time to time. Yeah, some, yeah. sometimes. Yeah, not. That's not, interesting. Well, now it's just made it so easier now with yeah. the internet. Now you can just kind of put out your laptop and just kind of play whatever song. Yeah, and that that's kind of where I got away from doing it was that there was always someone with a with a an iPod and an amplifier and some speakers willing to do it cheaper. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got to a point. You know, people were. That was a. I think the. The tipping point for me was a guy one time said, "Hey, can we? Uh, would you want to come out and do our um, like class reunion or something?" Hmm. I was like, "Yeah, it'd be four hundred dollars, which was pretty cheap even then." Right. He said, "Well, we don't have a lot of money, but you can come hang out and drink beer." And I'm like, well, "I can hang out and drink beer at home, and, and, <laughs> and, and I don't have to haul my." I, I don't can, have to go. I don't have yeah. to drive all the way out to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, and I kind of realized that. It took a day away from my family at a time when my kids were very young. Right. And, and so I kind of, I, I, I quit, but I always kept, I still have three full, fully functioning PA systems in my basement. Interesting, yeah. So when the uh, French things came up, I was like, well, I've got the equipment, I've got the knowledge. So that's about the only DJing I really do anymore is French mm-hmm. stuff. So. so, yeah, you so you basically, uh, you like a lot of that. So do you like a lot of the music that you play within that set, like a lot of the French music and stuff like that? You I, imagine you've talked a lot about how much you like or how much you love French culture, so yeah. I imagine you've probably developed a yeah. sort, of developed sort of a love for that. And, and the sad thing is that mm-hmm. with the... Do you, with, okay. sorry to cut okay. you off, no, but no, do you also, fine. like, speak in French, like, in between, like, in between songs? When I can, you, you yeah, 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 you know, but mm-hmm. it's a... Uh, I, I'm still self-conscious of my French speaking that it, I kind of have to push it a little bit, but you mm-hmm. know, because it's and it's sad because at a point in time I used to think in French and have to translate back, mm-hmm. but you know it's been so long. But it, yeah, just uh, you know, bienvenue, je suis Jide, which is it's weird that JD in French is Jide, which is a, always still strikes me as odd. So, but you know, say you know, like welcome to the to the tonight's dance. Bienvenue à la soirée, ce soir, you know, stuff like that. Oh, wow, cool. But it's, uh, I still, I, it's, actually I've gotten better because the acting classes, all the work that I've done, you know, probably early on my biggest weakness as an actor was thinking about it too much. Sure, yeah. yeah. So I'm getting better at just going with it and, mm-hmm. you know, not thinking about it. It was a kind of a weird, I think the, the pinnacle of where I've been as an actor in uh, the last few years was about a year or so ago with a Company Presents show with a, a really a, somewhat more of a formal structure than most of our shows had. And I had a, was in a sketch that was me and primarily one other person. And it was about three minutes long, three or four minutes long. And it was one where there wasn't any throwaway dialogue. You know, normally, if you're if you're memorizing a scene and you're doing it live, there are a lot of things that if you don't get it exactly right, or you don't, you know, then you can kind of move on. This was a sketch where there was something in every line that had to be said specifically to move the plot forward. Oh, I see. And so it was a very challenging sketch, and uh, was very well prepared for it. And it was the and the only other, I had an out-of-body experience that was really kind of weird in that, you know, I went from, I was delivering my lines, and it was, it was well-received, and at some point, I was, it was like I was looking down at me doing this performance, 
And I'm thinking, oh, I'm doing really good. And then I was thinking, but normally when I think about what I think, I screw it up. But I'm not doing that now. And you know, it was, it was almost like I had two brains going, and I was I was observing what I was doing and appreciating it, but I wasn't. You know, it's like, you know, I was admiring my work from afar. It was kind of weird, but it's probably the pinnacle of where I've been as an actor. You know, and I I can get that back, but you know, there's a lot of preparation, and that's the the thing I think I learned from that time is, you know, that. The best thing for me right now is to get some, basically get my house in order, for lack of a better way of saying it, mm -hmm. to get to a position where I can focus exclusively on that and give it the attention it deserves. So. Yeah, I imagine, like, I mean, I've never been an actor <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but I imagine, like, I just imagine, but I know a lot of, act, I know a lot of actors in the area because I've been able to come in contact with right. a lot of people. And I just, I can, I can only imagine, like, you have to be, not in a sense method in a way, but you have to be in it somewhat and kind of you have to get rid of that sort of self-conscious thing. Otherwise, yeah. you're totally just going to, yeah. Yeah, and that was the biggest thing. <clears throat> it's funny because my oldest daughter, uh, I have influenced her poorly. She wants to be a Broadway actress now. Ah. And I see the same thing in her. We, she was at a, a, a singing workshop at uh, her school all day yesterday, mm -hmm. and we walked in during rehearsal and she didn't know we were there and she was amazing and then they did a, a little informal performance and she knew we were there and you could just see the her mouth got right. smaller and then you just kind of like yeah <clears throat> yeah so it's mm -hmm. so it's i think it's a natural thing that you you've got to get over and just it's almost like you have to perform for it's almost like you have to pretend that nobody's there yeah you know because like i imagine that gives a way better performance because yeah. if you're too self-conscious about uh, unless you're doing something like a because uh, i have a cousin who's involved in an improv comedy yeah. group who and they do a lot of like it's kind of that it's kind of that thing where like they do um it's like okay give us a word and give us a scenario and they'll throw that out in the audience but i think imagine but after that sort of you've have to just come up with something on the spot. Yeah. yeah. And that even, I mean, I've done some improv in that too. You've mm -hmm. got to really, it, re, it requires you to get out of your head and into the moment. Because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you know, and I think the biggest mistake that, that I make in improv and a lot of people is they're trying to think of the next funny thing to say or, the, you know, they're trying to think about how they're going to be received as opposed to just. Yeah, you can't think about it. Yeah. You just can't think <clears throat> yeah. about all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I have a, people have asked me before like you know actors that I admire and there's not a lot simply because I'm not as well versed in in what's you know there's there are a lot of great actors that I've never heard of sure but yeah. one of my favorite actors has always been Gary Oldman of course yeah I love Gary Oldman and Gary he, Oldman's one of my favorites as well yeah just the the depth of what he's been in absolutely he's yeah everywhere. I was just watching his Bram Stoker's Dracula the other night for mm -hmm. Halloween yeah. yeah I still I still think that he is the best Dracula ever portrayed on film I have yet to I see know it. and I know that there's a lot of like older like the older 30s movies that I haven't seen a lot of those movies yeah. and I'm sure a lot of those purists are gonna yell at me but <laughs> for my money he is the best Dracula yeah. And everything he's done. I mean, I saw him in Sid and Nancy. That was, a, you know, oh right, and that, yeah, he was amazing in That's that. That's right. And, but he has described himself as an ugly actor. He doesn't. He's not doing it to achieve a certain look or appearance. He's just doing it to be real. Yeah, you know, he's not and he throws, to, just throws himself in whatever character he's exactly. playing. So that's kind of the mindset I try to take, and you know. 
So I think your brain can be your biggest enemy in those, you know, when you're doing that work. So. Yeah, and I can, and I also just can't imagine like if you're doing a live performance as opposed to if you're doing something on film. If you are doing something for a live performance, you have that kind of ability to change it up every night depending on however long the run is. Right. But if you're doing something on film, it's there forever. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <coughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because in the sketch group, because my first work was all in film, mm -hmm. and. Do you prefer doing the sketch comedy stuff as opposed to the more kind of serious I th stuff? Um, a little of both. I prefer, I think if I had the time, I would prefer more more serious, meaty stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's value in you know in both types. The, of course, the stuff, yeah. The sketch stuff tends to be lighter and easier to do, which helps now. But in, sure. I mean, in the the mm -hmm. film that I did, I got to kill my wife and try to bury her. So that was, oh. you know, that was enjoyable. <laughs> And, but but the funny part is that going from film to to theater, is, I still think in terms of where is the camera, and so if I'm doing a scene, I'm you thinking, can't look directly in the camera. Well, yeah, yeah. unless you're intentionally like wanting to break the fourth wall or exactly. something like that. But I'll end up, you know, there's we have a the company has a variety of rules that they've uh, they will make for a certain audience for certain cast members and the rule for me is never turn your back to the audience because i'm always thinking if there were a camera there i'd be looking this way and in, in stage you're always you know supposed to be focused on the audience so i'm actually for a for a somewhat experienced actor though near, not nearly as much as some but you know my biggest rookie mistake is that, that i still forget in live, because also I think it, in my defense, when we rehearse for our shows, the, there's no audience and the space is pretty tight. Mm -hmm. But I'm actually, you know, because I first worked in film, I keep forgetting that I've got to make sure that there's a when when there's a live audience. I keep, you know, so that's my rule from the from the company is that never turn your back to the audience. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> how did that get started, by the way? I'm not sure if I asked you this, but how did that get started, by the way? Like when you went to that film festival for the first time to cover it as a journalist, mm -hmm. how did that get started? Like, did you kind of know some people, and were they like, hey, are you interested in kind of being in our in our little movie, or were you just kind of like, let me just try that? Um, let's see, well, the uh, the film that I got into was, uh, I'm trying to remember how, I think they, uh, originally I had put in to be in a 48 Hours Festival. Oh, the 48 Hour Film Festival, and, yeah. And the Strong Brothers were hoping to get, be able to use an idea that they'd, been, they'd kind of thought about. And it didn't pan out for that, and when it was over they said, hey, we, we want to make a movie based off this idea that we started to flesh out. And so that was... You know, that was where my first film came about, was from connecting with them for, they, uh, they had, saw, they saw a video that I think I've successfully scrubbed from the internet now, but. Uh, <laughs> you can cut that, we can cut that yeah, out too. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's, it's, it's, it's just, it was funny, that was, uh, I was on a, a six in the morning news show promoting something for the, for the hospital I worked for. Okay. And I was, and my attempt was to be more animated, but. In my opinion, I came off looking like a bobblehead because I was doing a lot of nodding to try and you know show some enthusiasm. Sure. And it, it, I, you always never know you're doing it until you like look back at the exactly, footage and you're yep. just like, oh man, I keep bobbing my head. Yep. So I uh, uh, I notice that too whenever I'm recording. Like whenever I listen back to my audio, I'm just like, man, I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yep. So anyway, so they they liked that look. They thought it was menacing in a weird sort of way. So. So oh, I, that's interesting. <laughs> so they, um, 
Actually, it was funny because they felt like, what was it they said? They thought they could see in, in that scene someone who was trying to keep a secret or trying, you know. And then there's a lot more in it than I ever saw in that in that one interview, but they they liked what they saw, so they were doing a, uh, a the, as a kind of a paraphrasing a, a Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode. Oh, interesting. You know, so yeah. it was a, mm -hmm. it was a, it was a great experience, great people, and it was a, I've had good friends who've seen the film and, and said they didn't know I was that creepy, but so I guess that's a good <laughs> that's, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> didn't have no idea you had it in you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was, a, it was a great experience, and I, mm -hmm. I hope to do more of it soon. But That's you know, interesting, yeah. And actually, the only... The, I, was, I would joke for a while. I was typecast for a while. I, I have a... Um, there's a... Uh, what is the one? There's one project that's not come out yet where I am the uh, racist grandfather. And there was another project that I had a small part in where I was the homophobic grandfather. So th for a while that was kind of my type was I was, if you needed a, a racist or homophobic <laughs> older relative, that was my, that was my strong <laughs> suit. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was a, you know, but any works, good work. So it was, a, it was fun to do. Yeah, yeah. But then you just kind of want to go outside of that a little bit. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm actually, I can play the tolerant. I can play yeah, the tolerant. I don't, have, I don't have to be the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can be the, I can be the good guy. But I guess actually it's interesting that, uh, I don't know if it says something about me, but uh, the, the bulk of my roles, I'm either killing or hating, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, that's interesting, you know, with a lot of actors, right? I mean, yeah. you know, they are kind of, sort of a lot of actors are kind of quote-unquote pigeonholed as one thing, but when you see them in real life, you know, if you see them on a talk show or something like that, nice as can be. Exactly. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you hear that a lot of times. Um, yeah. So I actually wanted to go back to uh, you being the DJ for sure. a second. Um, you say when you played a lot of French music, was it like all different types of French music? Like, would you have to play like some maybe French rock or something like that, or maybe some French techno music or something like that? Was it kind of like running the gamut a little bit? It did, but it, it, for the group that I play to the most... The uh, bulk of what they want is 70s, 80s, kind of either disco-ish or poppy, 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 poppy kind type of stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually, aside, the, uh, the appeal for me was in the language and the way kind of the, the world has shrunk that a lot of the great French artists aren't necessarily working in the French language, you know, like... Uh, Oh now I'm just drawing draw a blank. The guys in the the guys with the motorcycle helmets. The uh, oh, uh, you talking about Daft Punk? Uh, yeah, Daft Punk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. they, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, they're French, but their stuff isn't really, you know, you wouldn't, you know, listen to it and think, oh, that's French, you know, per se. No, they they very much are kind. Of, yeah, they're not specifically torn to being from their country. Yeah. They're very much kind of appealing for everybody. And like, there's a, yeah. a current French rapper, uh, Maitre Gims, mm -hmm. who you know. Some of it's in French, but you know, you would, you don't have to be French to enjoy it. And sure, that's yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the good and bad of it. So a lot of what I what I focus on tends to be, you know, stuff that's been that, that's been around for a little while. Although, uh, mm -hmm. who's the guy I'm thinking of? The, uh, do you ever try to like keep up with a lot of what's going on right now? I do, and it's, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm probably not as close as I, I used to be because it. it Again, for the audiences that I keep drawing to, 
they don't care. <laughs> they just want to hear the same yeah. stuff they know. But yeah. I like I have some really good friends that well, you know uh, your audience. Yeah. But yeah. I have good friends who still live in France, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about what's over there and what's going on. And you know, there's stuff that I'll that I'll enjoy. That's uh, killing me now. There's a, a Belgian guy, oh, Stromae, mm-hmm. who's Belgian, who's actually one of the French language artists that is current, but is still kind of crosses over between. You know, it, it sounds more like a classic '70s '80s French song might. Okay. Right. Yeah. Have you ever been to France? Absolutely not. You haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I have been to French Canada. It's uh, oh okay. I'm yeah. like I'm like uh, in in It's a Wonderful Life. I'm like George Bailey in that I'm always putting off traveling, except that I'm not doing it for any noble cause. I just can't get organized. Oh, wow. Can't get organized enough. I'm like I'm like a an undisciplined George Bailey because I never quite get to make that trip. But it's not for mm-hmm. not for putting things aside to serve the greater good. It's more that I just. When I've had the time, I haven't had the money. When I've had the money, I haven't had the time. Kind of yeah, thing, so. sure, yeah. I mean, that's always... I was just actually talking about this with a previous guest. That's always a place that I've always wanted to go. Because yeah. for me, like, I've always been influenced by... Or influenced. I've always been fascinated by, for me, that's British culture and UK culture. I've mm-hmm. always been... Because, like, a lot of the artists that I love have come from there, and I've just always been fascinated with yeah. it. So, yeah, it's... But like you said, I just never have had the... more. Mainly for me, it's been the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, Mainly, it's been the money for me, yeah. but uh, it's funny now with uh, family and kids. It's kind of I'm almost in that transition where a lot of things now, like with the acting, my daughter's getting more acting work and training than I am mm-hmm. because it's kind of. How long has she been doing it? Um, she actually she had her first, and the sad thing is that for me anyway, she's always been better at it than me. I think she, you know, she would help me work through lines and she could help me be better at it. But mm-hmm. when she was about, she's about maybe six or seven, she went to audition for a community theater play. And, you know, most of the kids at that age, and I may have the age off a little bit, but she was at an age that most of the kids, if they were reading the script when they auditioned, they were stumbling over it and having trouble. And if they, if they had memorized it, it was still kind of rough. And she got up on stage and delivered, you know, a solid audition for the part she So she's always been a natural at yeah. it. Yeah. And then they asked her to, to do a cold read, and she did the cold read better than than some actors that I know now would do a, a rehearsed wow. you know, so she's That's very cool. So she's picked up, she's kind of intuitive in that way, but, you know, so it's kind of, you know, a lot of my goals for traveling and that, you know, my daughter's been to, to Costa Rica. And, wow. And I've been to Canada once. That's kind of you know, but very cool. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm trying to give them opportunities that I missed, and then mm-hmm. I figure at a certain point it's all going to gel back together, and I'll be ba- back where I need to be on all that. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of yeah. So she's always been kind of the natural performer. In yeah, your, and it's funny because she's shy too. That's you know she she doesn't believe she's that good. You hear that a lot of actors are shy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's yeah. That, that seems to be a common. I mean, yeah. That seems to be a commonplace thing. Yeah, yeah. you've got you've got to kind of jump off that cliff to get yeah to get a good performance. You're shy as a person, but then you have to kind of like when your other people are stepping into their shoes, you have to yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Wow, that's very that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, have you always been kind of more of a tech savvy guy? Because it's because looking at your resume, quote unquote, here yeah. it seems like you're very. You see, you're very skilled in videography and editing and voiceover artists. Like you've always, have you always been more tech driven? 
Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a. I mean, I, I like to be creative. I like to do new things, but there's there's kind of a logic to technology that you know it's you know if you're at least for me if I'm if I take my time and I'm confident enough there's not a there isn't a technological thing that I can't figure out because it all you know you know unlike people and emotions where you've got to keep trying to figure out where you need to go you know if you know if there's an issue you know I I just love that idea of you know you know of trying to suss out what needs to be done you know but yeah so it's been from the tech side of things you know, it's it's you know, some of the most satisfying work I've done I was was tech based, and the sad thing is I'll usually I don't do it enough to remember it. Sometimes I mm-hmm. I created a program at one point in time to uh, to take the measurement of ads in a newspaper and turn it into di- from English measurements to digital measurements to to metric, and then put it into a flow chart, and it was. You know, it was. Uh, it wasn't overly complicated, but it was. You know, it was a custom program that I wrote, mm-hmm. and you know, it was one of the most satisfying things I've done. But you know, then they asked me six months later to fix something on it, and I couldn't remember what it. You know, right. So it's kind of. Mm-hmm. But it's. I think that's probably where the attraction with the tech stuff is that it's. You know, generally speaking, it follows some logic, and you know, in most cases, with you know, with websites and such. You know, I also I I always think that like you always have to be you have to be kind of tech driven somewhat if you're going to get into that kind of work yeah. you know no matter even what what you do you always exactly. have to be if you're always gonna yeah you always have to know at least a little something even if you didn't like go to school for it exactly. or something like that yeah and I think being a mobile DJ at a time when mm-hmm. you know, oh I meant of course yeah you, know, you you had to be ready to troubleshoot anything and figure out why and mm-hmm. you know and with uh, with computerized, you know, with you know, since DJing's gone into using laptops, you know, there's, you know, I don't know what it is that every once in a while a, a, a laptop will get a gremlin in it, and suddenly the speakers don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, work, and you've got to be able to work through. Or you know, I've got a a, a podcast a broadcast studio in my basement. That's you, you know, do do you do that a lot? Do you try to do podcasting? Um, I did some podcasting, but uh, the. I always like to talk to fellow podcasters yeah. if I found out that they did something in the space. I did try it, and the the, the time and the discipline with with all the things I had pulling me, it, it never really came together. Right. Yeah. I do I I do do for uh yeah for I do on uh, inhaler dot com. Are you familiar with that? I've i actually I can't say I have. Yeah. It, it's a uh, uh, web based radio station that came about when WNKU went off the air. Oh, that's right. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I, it's, I went to NKU. So okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I was very yeah. I was very disappointed when WNKU went off yeah. the air. Yeah. Because yeah. they actually went off when I was a, when I was going to school there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now that you said that, now I remember. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I uh, it was kind of a roundabout thing where I initially through my acting class, uh, Cheryl was always yelling at me to speak more clearly and to breathe, but I wasn't breathing right. Hmm. And because you know, as my daughter will constantly remind me, that you sing through your breath, not your throat. And, you know, yeah, that's what I hear from a lot of. Yeah, yeah. that's what you hear from a lot of singers. You don't sing for. Yeah. yeah. So I, from Cheryl telling me I didn't know how to breathe, I started looking into, you know, voice coaching and things like that, and realized that what what helped me to 
to have a better resonant voice was having an object to project to. And I did work uh, years ago on WVXU when they used to have a show called Night Waves, which was a you know alternative music uh, similar to what WOXY was for me. Sure, years. yeah. And I realized that uh, doing that helped me to have a better voice because I was projecting to the microphone. And so as I was putting together pieces and parts to try and do some podcasting, I connected with uh, Taylor Fox, the uh, program director at Inhaler, and ended up doing, picking up, for a while I was doing three shows through the week, and then I've dialed that back to a Saturday show. I do a, so I do the, uh, I do a throwback show on Saturdays that I'm able to uh, play the stuff that I grew up. I mean, it's probably the job that I was meant to do, mm-hmm. of it, if I could make a living at it. It's a, you know, 80s, 90s alternative. Yeah, music. I noticed you had a Shonen Knife shirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually, the re- only reason I know Shonen Knife is because of Nirvana. Because yeah. I'm a big Nirvana fan, and I always used to read that Kurt Cobain was a big fan of Shonen Knife. Yeah. So yeah. it's that kind of era stuff that you grew up with, a lot yeah. of like the 80s, 90s alternative and stuff like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. great period, yeah. yeah. So it's a, so that's enjoyable, and that gives me a great chance to, you know, and I've, it's funny because I, I do it more so that I can listen and hear how I'm sounding because there's, there's times when I kind of pull my voice in like this, and, I'm, and I'll catch myself. And then the... Uh, the app that we use for the radio program is kind of weird, and it, I felt like I wasn't loud enough. So for a while, I was doing this for every every bit. I was like screaming into the microphone, and now I'm finally you know working it back to where I try to have you know a voice that has some depth to it and some is having more of a conversational tone as opposed to... That's what I always tried yeah. to do, yeah. I still fall back a lot into the, um, you know, like the, Hey, you, hey, hey everybody, you <laughs> welcome to the show tonight. We're going to have a good time. Welcome yeah. to Bob and Tom. Yeah, so it's, there's always that... There's yeah. always that cliched kind of radio yeah. voice that I feel like a lot of people wanted to... I, uh, I, 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 I'm with you. I'm always interested in more of the conversational types. Exactly, like I'm not yeah. into the, hey, it's time to get crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's enough great stories to tell, you know, with some of the music we play. Like uh, had a, I just got uh, there's a, a I was having a conversation with someone at work about uh, my brother-in-law who owns some Porsches, and this person said that reminded them of the song "Welcome to the Boomtown" by a group called David and David, who were pretty much a one-hit wonder. But mm-hmm. they were studio musicians before and went on to be studio musicians afterwards. And so I. I got that song ready to play on my show and was doing some research and one of the two Davids was born in Oxford, Ohio and so I I tracked him down and so he's in the process of doing a station ID for my show now so that's a a fun story to tell and then uh, when I was at VXU Nightwaves the band Squeeze stopped in they they used to have a live live (laughs) studio and so Squeeze came in to do a couple shows over lunch. That's the band that sings uh, Tempted by Tempted. the Fruit of Another, right? Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I always thought, yeah, yep. they sounded familiar. Yeah, so they yeah. Uh, unloaded and they couldn't get their drums off the bus because they mm-hmm. were some, somehow buried underneath other equipment. So the drummer had a, um, they got a suitcase wrapped in a coat on a chair and an upside down garbage can. I oh, know, I'm sorry, the suitcase on the chair and an upside down garbage can wrapped in a coat. And that was the drums that he used. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and they performed uh, 
uh, three songs, including Tempted, and I was as close to the drummer as I am sitting to you right now. Oh, wow. Very yeah, cool. Just watching him play the songs mm-hmm. on a garbage can in a suitcase. And How was, did it sound? Actually, sounded awesome. Did it sound awesome. pretty good? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they actually just try to figure it out so it actually sounds like drums as opposed to just banging on pots and pans, yeah. right? Almost, I guess he apparently has, wow. has had That's that problem before because he knew well, he gotta, enough to... <laughs> Well, okay, at least he knew how to figure out a solution to that yeah, problem. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's, I mean, so the music that I play on, and the show is called 180 Plus Minutes because it was originally a play on 120 minutes, and then they, but it was three hours, and we didn't, the station tends to program in four hour blocks, so we wanted to make it four hours, and we felt as though we were hung up on the name, so I said, well, you know, if you put a plus after it, it can be whatever length we want, so it's, it's now 180 plus minutes. It's Saturday, 7 to 11 on an Inhaler, which is I-N-H-A-I-L-E-R.com. Cool. Have you gotten to meet anybody else doing that show? Um, Shona Knife. Uh, you got to meet Shona Knife? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there was a pretty low-key show at the Southgate House. I mean, anybody, oh, any, anyone, yeah. anyone could have met them, but I, I met them uh, on their recent tour and had them do another station ID, mm-hmm. which actually I was as... as ex- I was way more excited than I should have been to, sitting in my car listening to the uh, them after they recorded a stage a show ID for my my radio show and said my name and I was just just in, playing that over I was and in over my again. car after the show just getting all giddy and just, you know, was like <laughs> they know me <laughs> and so that was you know that's kind of I fun. would do the same thing if I yeah. if I if I was in that position I would yeah. listen to them and be like oh they said my name yep Dave Grohl said my name there you go <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah so it's kind of cool so I've, yeah. I've met at different times um I actually met more people through being a journalist. You know, I uh, interviewed, when I was at the UC News Record, uh, interviewed The Fix, which is another band from back in that era. Mm. Uh, met Pear Ubu, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're very avant-garde. They had a couple of um, moderate hits in the, uh, I think, early 90s. And it's one of my biggest regrets. They uh, So you wanted to be like more of a music type of journalist? Well, I'm, I was, I've always been interested in everything, but uh-huh. it, it, music was always more fun, you know. Oh, sure. There was a point in time when I... We was, all love music. That's a that's such a universal Exactly, yeah. exactly. There was a point in time in Cincinnati before I left the first time when I uh, was writing about bars and concerts for the Enquirer. Oh, wow. But it was strictly part-time. You know, if I could have made that full-time, you know, that was a great gig. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, I mean, I've met... Uh, I didn't meet Van Halen, but I met the band that was opening for them, and that was kind of a, a great moment where I, I was always kind of a music snob, you know, like alternative music. That's you know, I don't want to listen to that pop stuff. No hair me. metal or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Like, no. And then I, I interviewed a band called Baby Animals, who opened up for Van Halen at the uh, U.S. Bank Arena or oh, the cool. Coliseum, whatever it's called these days, and. Uh, I was leaving, and Van Halen were playing, and it was the Sammy Hagar version of Van Halen, and I had no interest because I wasn't into that that common music. Sure. But I thought, yeah. you know, when's my when am I going to have this chance to uh, sit and see this band? So I found an empty seat and I sat for a little bit, and it was one of those epiphany moments where I was like, you know, these guys are having fun. They really look like they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, it's the best reason yeah. to do it. Yeah, and the people yeah. who are listening are enjoying themselves. So, so yeah. what the hell is my problem with people? And I, it was really a, a, a watershed moment where, where I kind of took my snobbery to task and realized yeah. that you know all music can be good music. And, oh, sure, and, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so that was a good moment for me. Yeah, so other people I'm trying to think of that I've met. Yeah, did you have any other sort of interesting interview moments from your time as a journalist? Uh, let's see. I remember the funniest was uh, when I had uh, a... Boy, I'm getting old. I can't remember. But I was trying to get a hold of one of Ohio's senators, but uh, couldn't get a hold of him all day at work. And I got home and was in the middle of changing uh, one of my daughter's diapers and she was fussy and I was trying to hold her and the senator called me and so I was uh, I think I, w I was in in the middle of changing and had gotten called in so I'm, I'm wearing just my underpants and t-shirt holding my daughter while interviewing a senator on the phone <laughs> and trying to type you know it's kind of a whole oh, wow. so that was kind of weird you know let's see I've met uh, it really tells you how old I am, but some of the, some of the big names that I've met were, um, you know, I interviewed Henry Kissinger once when he was in oh, town. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, let's see, there's, there's, there's a handful that came and went, and it was always, it always kind of sucked because I couldn't be a fan of anybody that I met when I was there as a reporter. Right. And I was trying to be professional mm -hmm. and just trying to, but it was, uh, you know, I, it was fun. I remember I asked, thought, trying to be cutting edge, I asked the fix how it felt to... You know, a couple years removed from their heyday, I was like, you know, so, so it's like, so you know, you guys used to play arenas, and, and now you're playing a, a, here at Bogarts, and what is that, you know, is that a, a letdown for you guys? And he's like, well, you know what, we're getting paid to play music, and beyond that, you know, they didn't, care, you know, so they were, you know, a lot of, I got a lot of good lessons from things that I did as a reporter. That were. It seems to be that seems a very ballsy question to ask. At yeah, the end. I wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't do it now. But yeah, I mean, that back seems then, a very like, ballsy yeah. question. Like, hey, you were big once. Remember now those days when yeah. you? Yeah, remember those days you used to record hit after yeah. hit. Now you're playing in small clubs. What makes you think? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was. <laughs> but at least they were cool about it. Yeah, it they, seemed, were very, they seemed very. Um, yeah, I tried to be it was, as much as I. It was a rough question. I was trying to be respectful about it. You know that. Oh sure, yeah. Because I just figured a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You, know, you always want to like, um, yeah. You always want to go into like whoever you're interviewing. You always want to like say like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about asking you. That way they can sort of exactly yeah. that way you yeah. can yeah. Because I minored in journalism, and that's always the thing that they always told us. And the beautiful thing with what I was doing, it was just me with a notebook. So if they didn't like the question, mm -hmm. they you know they weren't you know like today. Every question could be a gotcha question because most everything's recorded or videotaped. Sure. You know? Whereas then, if they didn't like the question, they could have told me to screw off, and it wasn't, you know, no one would have known about it but me and them, and I wasn't going to, you know. I've it also, I imagine, creates for a lot of less awkward moments, you yeah. know, because if you always, like, go into it, like, sort of asking a very, like, hot button question for whatever, whoever you were talking about, if you were going to ask that and you didn't sort of clear it with them ahead of time, yeah. there's always those moments because you see some of those awkward interview moments like on whoever's being interviewed and they're always just kind of like, mm, well, no comment. I don't know if I want to talk about it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to think the other, the biggest thing, I, one of the biggest things I got out of journalism was a thick skin. You had to, you know, at different times, you know, and that's, Served me well at sometimes. It, sometimes it's led me to be quiet when I probably shouldn't be. But you know, there were times I had a. Um, I was doing an investigation in a small town in Indiana, where there was some cover-up going on that involved the uh, police department, and I'm trying to remember how it all went. But the, the the end result was I was in the mayor's office, and he had two of his police officers there with me. 
and they were trying to snowball me and, and it was a basic case of they numbered their police reports and I was looking for a particular report from a particular point in time. There was one police report sequential, one number missing that was in the time frame of what I was looking for. And so they were trying to tell me they didn't have a report and I, 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 you know, I said something to the effect of, you know, just, for, just to be sure of this, I went back three weeks or so, whatever, some period of time back, and there's, there are absolutely no numbers missing. And oddly enough, the only number missing is at the exact time that there was said to be a report, you know. And I was just trying to, you know, matter of fact, point out that, you know, I knew that, that the cover story they were telling me that they somehow mistyped one number only one time at the exact time that, you know, Oh. And so at that point, the mayor comes up over his desk and starts to bring his hand up towards me. Oh, God. And it was one of those... Like getting ready to like... Yeah, and so oh there God. were a handful of thoughts that ran through my head. The first, I used to work for a Marine drill sergeant as a, a landscaper at a golf course. Mm -hmm. And we had learned with him that if he came at you, if you backed away, he'd keep coming. But if you stood your ground, he would eventually back off. So when the mayor came up over his desk, the, uh, the collection of thoughts that I had were, one, he's got two of his officers next to him. If I do anything, They're gonna... then I'm going to go to jail. Right. And two, if I back away, he might keep coming. So he gets up like this. I got up over the desk and just put my head out and kept my hands firmly at my... I didn't, didn't move my hands at all to give any impression. But I just stood there, and he came up, and, and I knew that on the one hand, I thought if he hit me and I could prove it, I'd never have to work another day in my life. But if I did anything otherwise, you know, he was... that I wasn't going to win in that, in that situation. So I stood there for a while, and he looked me in the eye, and I looked him in the eye, and I kept, you know, again, kept my arms firmly at my side. And it seemed like forever, and then finally he looked, looked at one of the deputies and said, yeah, go get him the report. You know, and it was, you know, but there was, I was already... I, such a, wow. And it was just a matter of knowing where I was. There was nothing, I had no power in that room, you know, to do anything other than stand there and request what I was requesting. But, oh, my God. You know, so moments like that, you know, that were, you know, we're great character builders. There's got to be so much. Yeah, there's, like you're saying, there's got to be so much going through your mind. Like right, yeah. you're about to get hit. Like yeah. it's like I'm about to get hit in the face right now. Yeah. Is it one of those situations where it's like kind of slow, like kind of like you're like what's going on is in slow motion kind of a thing where it's like one of those things it where was, it's like it was some of that, yeah. yeah, and some of it kind of tunnel vision. But I, I just, I, I think I crystallized on the on two things. One that I wasn't going to back down. But the two, I wasn't going to be aggressive because, you know, so it was kind of this weird thing of like, you know, it was a, a, a macho version of turn the other cheek. I was just like, you know, come on, if you're going to do it, do it because I got, you know. And then he just kind of was like. Well, shit. You know, okay. Kind of, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. That's. <laughs> yeah. So that was, you know. Wow. That, so it was, there was a lot of, a lot of, I don't know, adventure for lack of a better word, but it was a, a lot of good experiences then, but. You know, it helps then when you're on stage and get a bad review or a bad direction, you know, 
there's a lot of good lessons that I took out of the journalism career that's, you know... Sure. Like, you apply that to anything. Yeah, you apply yeah. that to anything, right? Plus it's just journalism, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that... Yeah, it also kind of goes into your, like, learning to develop a thick skin, I imagine, yeah, too. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like... I, if I do... Uh, you know, there are parts of some films that I've done that I wasn't happy with or weren't well-received, and it's like... It's part of the process, you know. Sure. And sometimes, you know, you can... Look at a lot of great artistic work that was not well received in the moment that become you know that finds an audience later. Oh so, yeah, it's happened a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. and you could also look at the mm, yeah great, movies that were flops when they came out, but now they're considered to be the greatest. Right. Yeah, and if there's a ton of movies too that tried to be tried to be perfect, and then, and then they never and they really get, yeah, yeah, and then they, they never really go anywhere. You've yeah. just got to be you've got to be honest to what. It's very rare that something becomes an instant classic. Yeah. 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 And I think there's just, you have to be honest to the story. That's the thing I learned from judging films for film festivals and uh, I interviewed a guy once who was a, a script writer. And uh, it's funny, it all kind of coming back to journalism in some way. But uh, when I was editing, when I was judging films, I felt that the films that worked for me were the ones that had a story and if there were any sort of a lesson the lesson served the story so to speak so you're you, you were more coming from it from an angle of like what does how does the film make me feel as right. opposed to like how what the camera movement does and all that yeah like more, more so than the technical aspects. yeah yeah and that it was more you know is yeah. it believable is it mm-hmm. you know and there was a film that i that was it was to um, it was a film about uh, getting revenge on men who've raped women. Okay. And it was very much about that message, but not so much about the story around it, to the point that you would, event, you would develop, I, at least I developed sympathy for these evil men because the, 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 there was no real characters and stories. It was just, oh, this guy must have done something bad, we're going to get him type of thing. Whereas the movies that I've enjoyed have had, you know, a compelling story, you know, even to the extent maybe it doesn't track with, you know, with, you know, authentic. It may not be authentic in in the way things really happen, but it's authentic. You know, there was and what I guess what I was leading with to with this was there's a. Uh, the movie Unstoppable, if you're familiar with that, with uh, Chris Pine. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Uh, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, yeah, yeah. yeah. That uh, mm-hmm. was based on an actual event that I had covered as a reporter of a train that did. Oh, wow. And so I ended up, when the movie came out, I was talking to the writer of the movie, and I said, you know, I'd seen the, seen the trailer and stuff. I said, you know, so what I've seen on film is a little more hyped up than, you know, the what really happened, you know, and I... I said, you know, I said, honestly, if you made a movie of what really happened, it wouldn't be that exciting. And you're all they're always I'm you always notice with a lot of like biopics or based on true story movies, they're almost always going to take like liberties with yeah. the story to make it a compelling yeah. film. And, and his yeah. answer was that you, you've got to be honest to the emotion of the story. Sure. Of course. You know, and some of that yeah. isn't going to translate without hyping it up. So, it was, you know. that, yeah, that's why I always like. That's why I'm always interested in, like, because if I was ever going to, like, if I ever were to become a filmmaker or anything like that, I would always, almost always want to tell, like, 
come up with a story of my own rather than to write a script about something that's, you know, I almost like wouldn't want to take any liberties mm-hmm. just to not like, yeah. just to not like make anybody upset. But you know, it's a thing. It happens. You know, you're yeah. always gonna. They're always gonna like make it a compelling film, and then there's always gonna be the people that say, "Well, that didn't really happen." You know, all yeah. that. Yeah. And, and even um, you know, like my daughter is big in the musical Hamilton. Oh, and, sure. Uh, <laughs> we we went to. Uh, the, uh, there was a thing called the Hamilton Experience in Chicago for a while, which was more of the history behind it. And, you know, there's a lot, even in, you know, in that, it's based on history, based on a historical book. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are characters who become, you know, one person representing multiple characters and that type of thing. And, you know, things that didn't really happen. That was kind of cool about the exhibit is, you know, it was, writ- it was produced by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who mm-hmm. did the, the musical. You know, so he was just basically saying, you know, that this part of the musical didn't happen, but it sounded really good, and we needed, to, you know, we needed to, you know. Right. Yeah. I've actually, yeah, I've actually never seen Hamilton. I've seen it twice. Because yeah. is my, it as is it as good as everyone kind of says it is? It's it is it's different. I th- I think it's kind of what I would imagine when the musical Jesus Christ Superstar came out. Oh yeah. In that it's it's a different way of presenting the story a little oh, bit. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's very hip-hoppy, it's very... Mm-hmm. Modern music, very modern yeah, music. yeah. Yeah, and I think In it's In the kind same of, way that Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's kind mm-hmm. of, I, I think, see it a lot similar to that, in that it was, it's, it's great in the story it tells, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, you know, it really makes... It, for my daughters, it drove an interest in history, which was great. Oh sure, yeah. But, it's kind of looking to see like what actually happened, yeah. Because yeah. if you're, because like it's kind of what we were going back to a little bit before is like if you're gonna tell like the exact story that happens like all the way through, there's a tendency that you could it could get kind of boring. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, and but if you kind of switch it up and don't like change anything, you know. Don't change anything like too drastic or anything yeah. like that. Just like little things here and there. Yeah. You find that everybody can enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. one last thing that I kind of wanted to ask you, and I yeah. kind of asked this to everybody who uh, comes on the podcast, is like, would you have any advice to give anybody who is wanting to go in and be the position that you're in? Sort of like whether it be a journalist or whether it be an actor. Or, like, would you have any advice to give to them who are kind of saying, like, oh, I want to do this, but I don't know what's the right, what's the first step to do? Mm-hmm. I have kind of a twofold answer. Um, the one would be to seek out the opportunities that interest you, and if they're not there, make your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other is just, you know, get out of your head. Just, you know, jump in and do it. But probably the biggest lesson that I that I was told and I never I I never took it to heart and I wish I had is and it has to do with finances I was always of the mindset that thinking about money was crass or you know doing something to get rich was a bad thing you know a bad thing I mean and what I think I've come to realize is doing something solely to get money is not a good thing. No. But it, doing something to make money is not a bad thing in and of itself. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if I... If, yeah. I, you if know, you're truly passionate about something, that should be, like, the main goal is to do something that you're truly passionate about and then getting paid to do it is just, like, kind of the exactly. icing on the cake. 
But even and even outside of of artistic endeavors, if mm -hmm. you, you know, I had opportunities at different points in my life to make large amount larger amounts of money mm -hmm. that were were not directly tied to my passion, but would have put me in a position to be better off later. And so I think the it's it's not a new story. Every actor, every actor, every writer struggles to to find a, a, a footing. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest advice I wish I had listened to that people told me is to have some sort of a plan. You know, to if you choose to do things that don't make a lot of money, then factor that in, accept that, and come up with a financial plan that you can start putting at least something aside. Because that's, that's the biggest regret I have now. There are projects I would love to do. There are people I would love to help with projects. But you know, I'm tied to a day job mm -hmm. to, to make up for what I didn't put aside earlier. Sure, yeah. So, you know, just that would be my two things. Don't be afraid to take chances, but also don't ignore the fact that you need to eat. Of course, you know, and, yeah. You know, if you don't have, you know, there's... Uh, whatever side it was, they had uh, the entire staff quit because they weren't being allowed to cover what they thought was important. Mm. But the guy who wrote about it said that as a journalist, he had built up a mad fund of money that he had sitting aside that if he ever had to quit a job for principal, he could afford to do it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of crystallized a lot of what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you have enough money put aside that you don't have to do anything for the money, then in the end you're able to be more principled than if, you know, you have to, you have to stay with what you're doing because you need the cash. Absolutely, yeah. Excellent, excellent Thanks. advice. Thanks. Uh, well, on that note, JD, I want to thank you so much for coming Absolutely. in. It's great Thanks. to meet you. Same here. Thank yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to another episode of Creators and Cincy. And as always, have a good night. Thank you.